Today we are giving a revelation, a bit of a break. I am the online speaker for a conference in India today on a Zoom service, so I'm sharing that sermon with you today. And also speaking to leaders who are in great need, especially ministering to communities where thousands and thousands of people are dying from COVID and the, the struggles and the challenges that they go through as well. So today we are going to focus on Psalm 126 and we are going to hear and wait on what God is saying to us. Let us pray. Lord God, you have declared that your kingdom is among us. As we have sung today, we also ask that you will open our eyes to see it, our ears to hear it, our hearts to hold it, our hands to serve it. Thus we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you turn with me to Psalm 126? A song of ascents, meaning going up. When the Lord brought back the captives to Zion, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. He who goes out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with him. This is a psalm of joy, but we're focusing on the fifth verse and the sixth verse where it says those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy he who goes out weeping carrying seed to sow will, reti- will return with songs of joy carrying sheaves with him this is a psalm where God once the psalmist is writing about God's um, providence and the way that God promised to do something and that he um, he did and he restored them as well and therefore the joy and the laughter that comes with that restoration. So as we share God's word today, I want to make it very practical for us. And I would like to share um, two life stories with you concerning this verse. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. Many of us have been involved in being trained and equipped as leaders or we have been trained and equipped in doing a course to be able to be um, productive in our work and to earn a salary as well. So everybody knows what it's like to be trained and equipped. There are certain standards that go with that. Actually, our whole life we are being equipped and trained because our whole life is an open textbook to others around us, our children, our lifelong partners, people at the church, our friends, and those we meet in the world. 
we definitely have big shoes to fill the shoes of jesus and walking in the footsteps of jesus can be challenging at times and also rewarding and it is in the very deep places of suffering and sacrifice that god finds us and we meet with him and in this process of transition we produce a fragrance of god's presence that becomes visible and tangible to those around us as well and we might think and be convicted that we need to teach and equip future and current leaders and those around us a certain way and with that we might remove the possibility and the opportunity of what god would like to instill within us and within them talking about god's training god's equipping by the holy spirit within us so we need to leave room for god to do what god needs to do god sees what we do not see god knows what we do not know and the suffering becomes god's treasure within us because when we are equipped and when we are disciplined and when we go through life in our suffering and sacrifices that becomes the treasure within us and this will take place on a personal level within us and on a corporate level with things that surround us as leaders we can relate to personal trauma as every person remember as a believer you are a leader we can relate to personal inner trauma but we can also relate to the trauma around us people who suffer um when we look at the media things that are going on around the world globally we are all suffering because of covid-19 most of us knowingly or unknowingly diagnosed or undiagnosed suffer from post traumatic stress disorder and we live with this every day and it will most probably when we are aware of our behavior and our thought pattern we will trace it back to the cause of the way we are starting to think and the way that sometimes we even become immune when we see a dead body or we see violence or um those things are trauma that surround us every day but the difference for us as believers is that god finds us in that deep place of suffering and when we are open to that we also meet in turn with god in a way that we will never ever meet with him before uh, have met with him before social media has been flooded by the story of a young lady who is barely over 30 and she's had cancer three times and she explains in her diary on her blog her relationship with god that is raw but real because of her suffering and i'm going to read to you some of her blog she writes I don't remember most of autumn because I lost my mind late in summer and for a long time after that I wasn't in my body I was a light bulb buzzing somewhere far 
After the doctor told me I was dying and after the man I married said he didn't love me anymore, I chased a miracle in California and 16 weeks later, I got it. The cancer was gone. But when my brain caught up with it all, something broke. I later found out that all the tra tragedy at once had caused a physical head trauma and my brain was sending false signals of excruciating pain and panic. I spent three months propped against the wall. On nights that I could not sleep, I laid in the tub like an insect, staring at my reflection in the shower knob. I vomited until I was hollow. I rolled up under my robe on the tile. The bathroom floor became my place to hide, where I could scream and be ugly, where I could sob and spit and eventually doze off, happy to be asleep, even with my head on the toilet. I have had cancer three times now and I have barely passed 30. There are times when I wonder what I must have done to deserve such a story. I fear sometimes that when I die I, and meet with God, that he will say that I have disappointed him or offended him or failed him. Maybe he'll say I'll just never learned the, the lesson or that I wasn't grateful enough. But one thing I know for sure is this. He can never say that he did not know me. I am God's downstairs neighbor banging on the ceiling with a broomstick. I show up at his door every day, sometimes with songs, sometimes with curses, sometimes with apologies, gifts, questions, demands. Sometimes I use my key under the mat to let myself in. Other times I sulk outside until he opens the door to me himself. I've called God a cheat and a liar and I meant it. I've told him I wanted to die and I meant it. Tears have become the only prayer I know. Prayers roll over my nostrils and drip down my forearms. They fall to the ground as I reach for him. These are the prayers I repeat night and day with God's sunrise and God's sunset. Call me bitter if you want to, that's fair. Count me among the angry, the cynical, the offended, the hardened, but count me among the friends of God. For I've seen him in rare form. I've felt his exhale laid in his shadow, squinted to read the message he wrote for me in the grout. I am sad with you too. If an explanation would help, he would write me one. I know it. But maybe an explanation would only start an argument between us. And I don't want to argue with God. I want to lay in a hammock with him and trace the veins in his arms. I remind myself that I'm praying to the God who let the Israelites stay lost for decades. They begged to arrive in the promised land, but instead he let them wander. Answering prayers they didn't pray for 40 years, their shoes didn't wear out. Fire lit their path each night. Every morning he sent them mercy bread from heaven. 
I look hard for the answers to the prayers that I didn't pray. I look for the mercy bread that he promised to bake fresh for me each morning. The Israelites called it manna, which means, what is it? And that is the same question I'm asking again and again. There's mercy here somewhere, but what is it? What is it? I see mercy in the dusty sunlight that outlines the trees, in my mother's crooked hands, in the blanket my friend left for me, in the harmony of the wind chimes. It's not the mercy that I asked for, but it is the mercy nonetheless. And I learn a new prayer. Thank you. It's a prayer I don't mean yet, but will repeat until I do. Thank you. Call me cursed, call me lost, call me scorned, but that's not all. Call me chosen, blessed, sought after. Call me the one who God whispers his secrets to. I am the one whose belly is full with loads of mercy that were hidden for me. Even on days when I'm not sick, sometimes I go lay on the mat in the afternoon, in the light to listen for him. I know it sounds crazy and I can't really explain it, but God is in there, even now. I've heard it said that some people can't see God because they won't look low enough, and it's true. If you can't see him, look lower, for God is on the bathroom floor. This is written by a young lady who is very real in her relationship with God. And when we look at that scripture, those who sow in tears shall reap with joy. She does not express her joy in laughter and jubilation, but she expresses her uncertainty, but also knowing that God is with her in that deep place and suffering. And as she said in her own words, it is in that place that she met with God. But what does it mean also for us when we are sad, when we are struggling? John Piper, who is a theologian, he says, so here's the lesson. When there are simple, straightforward jobs to be done, and you are full of sadness and tears are flowing easily, Go ahead and do the jobs with tears. Be realistic. Say to your tears, Tears, I feel you. You make me want to quit life. But there is a field to be sown. Dishes to be washed. House to be cleaned. Car to be fixed. Car to be washed. Even a sermon to be written. I know you will wet my face, talking to the tears now, several times today, but I have work to do, and you will just have to go with me. I intend to take the bag of seeds and sow. If you come along then, you will just have to wet the roads. Very often we wish away our challenges and we wish away our suffering. But very often that is the equipping and the training that God has set before us 
so that we can get to know him better. Those who sow in tears, I'm going to share with you a story of a missionary, two missionary families and how God used the tears that they sowed um, for his good and for his glory. In 1921, David and Sweet Flood went with their two-year-old son from Sweden to the heart of Africa, which was known then as Belgian Congo. This missionary couple met up with another couple, the Ericsons, another young Scandinavian couple, and the four of them sought God for direction. In those days of much devotion and sacrifice, they felt led of the Lord to set out from the main station, missionary station, to take the gospel to the village, which is almost like in the, ju in the jungle, a very remote area called Ndolera. And this was a huge step of faith. And there they were rebuffed by the chief. They were not accepted. He would not let them enter his town for fear of alienating the local guards. The two couples opted to build their own mud huts half a mile up the slope. They prayed for a spiritual breakthrough, but there was none. Their only contact with the villagers was a young boy who was allowed to sell them chicken and eggs twice a week. Sweet Flood, a very tiny woman, decided that if this was the only African she could talk to, she would try to lead the boy to Jesus, and she succeeded. Meanwhile, malaria struck one member of the little missionary band after another, and they all fell ill. In time, the other couple, the Ericsons, decided that they have had enough suffering and left to return to the central mission station. David and Sweet Flood, with their two-year-old boy, carried on the mission on their own. Then Sweet found herself pregnant in the middle of the primitive wilderness. When the time came for her to give birth, the village chief softened enough to allow a midwife to help her. A little girl was born, whom they named Ina. The delivery was exhausting. Sweet Flood was already weak from bouts of malaria, so the birthing process was a heavy blow to her health, and she died only 70 days after Aina was born. This is when something snapped in David Flood. He dug a grave, he buried his 27-year-old wife, and then went back down the mountain with his children to the mission station. Giving their baby Aina to the Ericsons, he said, I am going back to Sweden. I've lost my wife, and I obviously can't take care of this baby. God has ruined my life. With that, he headed for the port, rejecting not only his calling, but God himself. Within eight months, both the Ericsons were stricken with a mysterious illness and died within days of each other. Baby Ina was then turned over to another American missionary family who changed her Swedish name to Aggie. Eventually, they took her back to the United States at age three. All the family loved Aggie, afraid that if they tried to return to Africa, some legal obstacle might separate her from them. They decided to stay in their home country and switch from missionary work to pastoral ministry. And that is how Aggie grew up in America. As a young woman, she, attempted, she attended North Central Bible College in, 
in the USA. There she met and married Dewey Hurst. Years passed. The Hurst enjoyed a fruitful ministry. Aggie gave birth first to a daughter, then a son. In time, her husband became president of a Christian college in the Seattle area, and Aggie was intrigued to find so much Scandinavian heritage there. One day, she found a Swedish religious magazine in their mailbox. She had no idea who had sent it, and of course she couldn't read the words. But as she turned the pages, a photo suddenly stopped her cold. There, in a primitive setting, was a grave with a white cross. And on the cross were the words, Sweet Flood, which is her mom. Aggie got in her car and drove straight to a college faculty member whom she knew could translate the article. And so the article was translated and the story was told about her parents going to Africa and sharing the gospel with um, the little boy. And it says in the article, after all the whites had left, the boy, all grown up, finally persuaded the chief to let him build a school in the village. And he gradually won all the students to Christ and the children led their parents to him. Even the chief priest, a follower of Jesus, Today, there are 600 believers in that village, all because of the sacrifices of David and Sweet Flood. Aggie was very elated and happy about this, and so for their 25th wedding anniversary, Aggie and her husband Dewey, they got a trip from the college to go to Sweden, and Aggie went and looked for her biological father. By now he was an old man, he had remarried, he fathered four more children and generally dissipated his life with alcohol. He was an alcoholic. He had recently suffered a stroke, still very bitter. He had one rule in the family, never mention the name of God. God took everything from me. After a very emotional reunion with all our half-brothers and sisters, Aggie brought up the subject of she would love to see her father. They hesitated. They said, you can talk to him, but he's very ill now. You need to know that whenever he hears the name of God, he flies into a rage. Aggie walked into, this, into the apartment, which had alcohol bottles all over the place, and slowly approached her 73-year-old father lying in a rumpled bed. Papa, she said. He turned and began to cry. He said, Aina. I never meant to give you away. She said, it's okay, Papa. And she gently took him in her arms. God took care of me. Her father instantly stiffened and his tears stopped. God forgot all about us. Our lives have been like this because of him. He turned his face back to the wall. Aggie stroked his face and she continued. Papa, I have got a marvelous story to tell you. You didn't go to Africa in vain. Mama didn't die in vain. The little boy you won to the Lord grew up to win that whole village to Jesus. The one seed you planted in his heart kept growing and growing. Today there are 600 people serving the Lord because you were faithful to the call of God in your life. Papa, Jesus loves you. He has never hated you or abandoned us. The old father turned back to look into his daughter's eyes. His body relaxed. He slowly began to talk, and by the end of that afternoon, he had recommitted his life to the Lord. 
over the next few days, father and daughter enjoyed warm moments together. A few weeks after Aggie and her husband returned to America, David Flood died. And a few years later, Aggie and her husband were attending an evangelism conference in London, England, when a report was given from Zaire, which was known as Belgian Congo when they were there. The superintendent of the National Church representing some 110,000 followers, believers, spoke eloquently of the gospel spread in his nation. Aggie could not help to ask him afterward if he had ever heard of David and Sweet Flood. Yes, ma'am, the man replied in French, his words being translated into English. Sweet Flood led me to Jesus Christ. I was the boy who brought food to your parents before you were born. In fact, to this day, your mother's grave and her memory are honored by all of us. He embraced Aggie for a long time, sobbing. You must come to Zaire. Your mother is the most famous and honored person in our history. When Aggie and her husband went to Ndulera, um, Zaire, they were welcomed by cheering throngs of villagers. Aggie even met the man who had been hired by her father to carry her down the mountain in a hammock cradle. Then the pastor escorted Aggie to see her mother's tomb with a white cross bearing her name. She knelt in the soil to pray and give thanks to God. Later that day, in the church, the boy turned pastor red. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we have heard your word to us and have had the privilege to share in the lives of of those who have written down the words of their experiences with you. We pray, Lord, that we will be honored to have a story to tell as well. No matter how we are struggling, no matter how many tears are rolling down our cheeks, Lord, that we know that you're always with us and that you meet us, you meet with us, you find us in those deep places. Lord, we pray that we will never give up, no matter how disappointed we are, in the way that things work out, not the way that we've planned them, but we do know, Lord, that it's according to your will and according to your plan. And so, Lord, as we continue from here, we pray that you will fill us with your Spirit, equip us and train us to move closer to you, but also to have that aroma of your presence that will be tangible and visible to those around us, and that it will draw people to Jesus. Not for our sake do we pray, but for your sake and for your glory. Amen. We will continue to...